Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. We get it going on a Thursday with my main man, Cedric Cornbread Maxwell, currently the color analyst on Celtics Radio, working with Sean Grandy, former member of the uh, great Celtics teams of the past. If I, you know, I was looking at a picture yesterday of great Lakers that have played in the NBA mm-hmm. from Jerry West to Magic to Kareem to Will Chamberlain. I mean, you name it. The list goes on. They won their fair. But nobody won more championships than the Boston Celtics. Did you guys have the secret? You know, I think I think Red Arback had the secret in you know his drafts and who he was getting. And you know, you think about he got Russell, he got Bird, uh, he got Havlicek, he got JoJo White. You know, all these great players. And but they were committed to one thing, and their commitment was to winning. And they did it because they were a great defensive team and they did something that most teams did not do during that time was that they ran at every opportunity looking for a fast break. Well, I thought the key was, um, was there was Johnny most. Wasn't that the key to this Celtics? <laughs> I don't think so. As much as I love you, Johnny most, I don't think he was the key to the Celtics winning the championship. I got to tell you the first time I met Johnny most, I was doing the Nets games. And we go in to play Boston, the old Boston Garden. And you remember the vantage point up there was like up in the up in the stands. And I walked over to Johnny and introduced myself to him. And I said, uh, is Mikhail going to play tonight? He goes, I don't know. I said, what about Bird? How's he doing? Up? I don't know. I said, let me, he says, let me tell you something, babe. When they show up, they show up. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed like Jay Most. <laughs> he seemed he, like exactly like him. He's a character. So let me go back to game four of the series with Philadelphia and Boston. Uh, I'm watching the game, and uh, Jalen Brown leaves James Harden in the corner, and uh-oh. So he went off the double team that they had with the MB, and Harden buries the corner three. Right. And then it only got worse because Missoula, the coach, did not call timeout there. Uh, why? I mean, I heard his explanation initially. But why didn't he call timeout? Um, you didn't call, he didn't call timeout because uh, they've already set their place. And what happens defensively, Doc Rivers is not able to change the personnel on the floor. So you couldn't get Harden out, who was a, a weak defensive player. So they knew what they were going to run. The only thing that they did not do was get the ball up quicker. Uh, and, I, and, and so if you call a timeout, advance the ball, you can save those seconds. But at the same time, you give Doc Rivers an opportunity to change defensive personnel. You know, I hear that, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the game, and I'm thinking to myself, uh, either Tatum or Brown, one of the two, take it to the basket. Either you make a basket, or maybe you get fouled. You're only one point down. And, and well, the way and, – and Tatum held the ball in his hands far too long, and then they settled for a prayer three which obviously did not go down. Uh, look, I'm not criticizing the coach. I mean, coach knows more about the game than I do. Mm-hmm. But if you gave Missoula a mulligan, I guarantee you he'd take a time out there just to set the play. You know what? I don't know how he did say that in hindsight. So he's never said, look, I'm, I would do that. I think the biggest thing about that you may mention was time and time, time and score. And when you had Jalen Brown, you were down by two points. The ball had gone into to MB. If MB makes the basket around the paint, it's a tie score. 
and you get the last shot. But instead, you leave the guy who's been hurting you all night in the corner by himself, and he takes a three. That was probably one of the biggest mistakes you think about when, when it came to winning or losing the game because you should have, at best, Philly should have tied the score, but at best, you should have had the last shot with the score tied to win it. Hey, Max, you watch this team every night. Jalen Brown uh, is as explosive a guard as there is in the league. Tatum is the main guy. I get that. But I saw a stat this morning that Jason Tatum has attempted 22 more shots over the first five games of this series than Jalen Brown. I would think that getting Jalen Brown more involved would be a good idea. Yeah, I think it would be. He has been he's been the better scorer in this series. And I think his matchup with Harden has been really good. Um, but they'll know the night, you know, and like those golf clubs behind your head back there. They'll be able to be used or they won't be used <laughs> very, very soon if you don't produce tonight. <laughs> Obviously, with the Celtics being down three, two, do they have an opera? Do they have an opportunity? Yes, they do. Last year, they were down to the world champions. Um, and you look at what happened in Milwaukee. And Milwaukee came to Boston, won game five. And then the Celtics had to go on the road to win game six, come back home to win game seven. And they were able to do it. They have the personnel. They have the, they have the, the I think, the wit. I think they have the strength to get that done. It, it's amazing. And we go back to game four. Celtics win that game. They're up three games to one. Mm -hmm. uh, and But now, uh, now they're fighting for their lives in Philadelphia. It's going to be a hard game to win on the road. Uh, if, 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 you're, if you're, you're making the game plan today, you know that Embiid's going to get his. Mm -hmm. He's, you, you know, I mean, Robert Williams is, is, will make an attempt. Horford will make an attempt. I get it. But he's going to get his no matter what. The key is, right. I would think, to take away James Harden. Yes or no? Take away James Harden, but also to have your big score. Joel Embiid scored 34 points. Al Horford had zero, and Robert Williams had four. So he outscored your, your bigs 30, to 30 by 30 points, and that was a difference. Al Horford said it in the paper today. I was reading an article, and he said, it was my fault that we did not win that game. Uh, because I just didn't play well. And he had played well enough in game, I think it was game four in Boston, here in Philly, that they lost. He played, he really locked and beat up. So you get the chance to, to come back and do it. You know, there's somebody who's talking to you on air right now who is down to Philadelphia uh, three games to one and came back and won one in Boston, one in Philly, and come back home to win another one. So it can be done. I think this team is good enough to do it, uh, but they just have the just have to put the intestinal fortitude out there and say we're going to beat these guys. Personnel-wise, I think the best two players have been Harden and have been Joel Embiid, who's the MVP. Celtics have to have like that mix someplace where they have to be in that range. Uh, if they slow down Harden, then I think you're obviously you have a much better situation. But Maxi comes in, he scored the ball for you. Uh, so, so Billy's been sneaky good here with some of their players lately. He's uh, Cedric Maxwell, currently working the radio with Sean Grandy on Celtics Radio. And you've played enough games, both in the regular season and in the playoffs. What's the biggest difference between regular season and playoff basketball? Exactly what you have in that golf club, the golf bag back there, a set of balls. That's all. Either you got them or you ain't got them. And the big time players, you know, have a set of balls, which are unbelievable. You, you, you've been there before. How, when you've been out with a guy, you go, man, that guy got a set of balls on him. <laughs> <laughs> he might ask you something like, damn, that guy got a set on him. <laughs> well, that's the same thing happens when you're talking about playing in big games. Well, Giannis was huge, uh, you know, a year ago when he was, you know, so dominant, what he's able to do. Steph Curry walking around. So, so big-time players are able to step up at those points. You've always talked about Muhammad Ali, how big he was in those situations where he would call his shots or guys would go down. Uh, you know, that's what great ones do. They, they have the opportunity to step up and be who they, who they need to be at that particular time. 
I'm glad you mentioned Ali because I had early on in my career, I had the chance to interview him. This is before he fought Joe Frazier. Uh, I said to him, I said, why are you so successful in the ring? He said, that's a good question. I'll tell you why. Because when I step into the ring, I know I'm going to win. The other guy thinks he has a chance. And I thought, it's a plain, simple explanation. But man, you could apply that to basketball, to football, to boxing, whatever. Well, it's, it's the, again, how it's the great ones that, that know that. You remember Connors had it, you know, was playing Borg at that time. You know, McEnroe, how good it was. And t- you can go through all these different sports and you can tie fundamentally these great players who had their times to go at each other. And you're going, wow, that was a golden age. Like, you can't even think about, like, you think about tennis now, how good it is, but that, that was a golden age when Connors was around and McEnroe was around was, was unbelievable basketball with bird and they're playing against magic and Michael Jordan during this time football. So there, there are times we just say, wow, it was, it was a great time to be a sports person. I sometimes I, I, I shake my head at guys in my own profession and I hear explanations like last night before the Laker game, uh, somebody said uh, that the Lakers would be smart to rest LeBron and rest Anthony Davis and get ready for game six. And I went, whoa, wait a minute. Do you think that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to go into a game knowing that they're going to sit down? They're not going to go for that, right? Yeah, yeah. I think guys are going to, they're going to want to play. They're going to want to win. I was, uh, I was, uh, I was amazed to see that, uh, happy to see that the Knicks were able to come back and uh, win against Miami. And at the end of the day, I've, I've said that these two teams are going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. I thought it would be Boston and New York. I could be I could be so far wrong, but I still feel like the Celtics definitely have a have a great opportunity. And it's about playing, you know, over the next 10 hours. What happens in the next 10 hours will tell the story. If the Celtics are able to get back home to Boston uh, and get ready for game number seven in their building. I mean, they I mean uh, they've already kind of won their match already psychologically. It would seem to me that the team that gets off to the quicker start doesn't necessarily win, but it gives you an edge, uh, something that every every player, every team is looking for. That edge, that you know, that the uh, you know, in the in the, in the Rocky movies, mm-hmm. the eye of the, the eye of the tiger. It gives mm-hmm. you that edge, and and I think it's so true. Yeah, I think that you know everybody wants to get out to a good start. Um, but then you could ask the Atlanta Falcons what kind of start they got up in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. That was a good one. Mm. But it's, it's also about ending. Uh, yeah, they played well. And they were all cheerleaders pumped up, owners pumped up. But it's how you end the game. Uh, Celtics need to, and when you're playing on somebody else's court, I think this is the biggest thing, is to stay close and to make them nervous. And when they get nervous, then you spurt, you go ahead. Uh, so the Celtics need to at least just stay in hailing distance. Yeah, you love to be ahead, but if you can stay in hailing distance for the game, everybody in Philly, because this is this is Philadelphia, damn you. This is where people always get nervous. This is where they boot Santa Claus. This is people always looking for the other shoe to drop here. So if you can keep the game close, the fans will get really nervous and that will make the players even more nervous. You know, I heard that about Philadelphia. They booed Santa Claus. And then I realized there was a whole bunch of Jewish people that were doing the booing. But anyway. (laughs) Yeah, let me say that. You said it, okay? (laughs) The Jewish guy said that, all right? Don't put me in the middle of that one. uh, You bring up a really good illustration about the Atlanta Falcons. I remember that game. And they got they got they had a sizable lead. I'm not sure the exact number, but I want to say it was 21 points or more. Yeah, it was. They say it happened in New England right now. So it's a, a 28 to three. Something, yeah, something. It was something like that. And they had that on a bunch of T-shirts here in, in Boston. I uh, I met my daughter has a Super Bowl party every year, and I'm sitting there with a bunch of her friends and we're watching the game. And I said, "Oh, Atlanta's going to win." I said, "Yeah, the way Atlanta wins." is putting their foot on the Patriots' neck. Don't wait for the end of the game. Make it happen to the end. So I'll, I'll draw the same parallel tonight with the Celtics. Uh, it, the, the guys that, that have control of the basketball, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, 
I think Jason Tatum has got to realize that his partner is as important to his team as he is. And I want to see Jalen Brown more involved. And if I do early on, then I think that they got the message. That I think that is very possible, but I think Jason's also con- just as concerned about the slow starts. He's had a slow start in almost every one of these games. Uh, and I think it was the, the big game, uh, game four, um, he had a slow start, but he ended up with 25 points, 18 rebounds, something crazy, some crazy good numbers. But it's important for everybody to understand how games are played. And so many people have just gotten into a tizzy right now. Oh, this is, I hate this and the Celtics are Look, as you and I know, playoffs are roller coasters and they go up and down. It's not like a football game where you have the one game. You No, a playoff series, when you play a game, a team seven times, you're going to have highs, and you're going to have lows. And it's the team that stays correct and stays informed and stays together. It's a team that's going to eventually win. I've been down to, as I said, Philadelphia 3-1. A uh, team came back and won, been down to uh, the Lakers uh, in the series. So, but if you stay consistent and true to yourself, uh, you will get your opportunities. And, and then it's, then at that time, you better cash in. One of the uh, observations that uh, that somebody made before the series started was, will Joe Mazzulla's inexperience be a factor considering that Doc Rivers has more experience? Now, look, Mazzulla has been criticized particularly with game four. Uh, and I'm not going to ask you to criticize Missoula because it's not, it's not something that you need to answer. I'm just wondering if Joe Missoula is into a, uh, a trial by error in this. He's learning as he goes along. How do you evaluate it? Our, he's in a no-win situation right now. Yeah. This, this, this is the biggest thing. When you think about coaches, uh, when you're good and you win, everybody jumps on when there are mistakes made or people perceive their mistakes made, then now you're not a good coach. Uh, before this series, uh, everybody, same question was asked to me, said, well, Doc Rivers, he's not a good coach. He, he's not really a good coach. Look at his record. Look what's happening in the playoffs. So everybody was all, was, you know, all over Doc. Now that he's up 3-2, everybody's, oh, my God, Doc is the best thing. But if Doc doesn't win this, if their team doesn't win this, you're going to hear the same questions again. So it depends on what day your team that you get a coach and how many games he wins is the perception of how good he can be or what he can do. You know, you were around the great Chuck Daly for a long time. And Chuck Daly, who, you know, I love and admire, told me one thing. I was, I had, I was in 1981, had gone into the stands in Philadelphia, had a little – the ruckus with one of the fans I did and came back on the court and there was a guy behind uh, the, the um, Philly benches and Chuck was the assistant coach then uh, under uh, Billy Cunningham. Billy Cunningham, right. And, 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 and the guy, there was a, there was a big guy, big black guy screaming at me, I kicked your ass and that, that, that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, come on out here. We'll find out. And Chuck Daly leans into me and goes, Max, Max, that guy right there is a killer. I <laughs> leaned back in and said, Chuck, I'm a killer too. <laughs> so, so Chuck got my message. And that was that was the one time I do remember talking to the, the great Chuck Daly. And uh, it was a one-on-one situation, which very few people knew about. I don't think you know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. You mentioned Billy Cunningham. You, had, you know that Billy went to North Carolina. Do you know what mm-hmm. high school? You know where he went to high school? It was someplace in uh, New York, wasn't Brooklyn. it? Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I remember the the kangaroo kid is what they used to call him when he was at North Carolina. Right. He went to Erasmus Hall High School, where the guy you're looking at went. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. I'm I'm he's a, he's about I'm gonna say four years older than I am. So I'm in my freshman year at Erasmus. And our freshman basketball team had a practice. And then I went to watch the varsity practice and I went into the gym and, and Cunningham is lighting it up. He's beating everybody's brains out. And I'm sitting there going, wow, wow, what a player. This guy's unbelievable. And then he got into his senior year. Frank McGuire was coaching at North Carolina. 
and he came to scout Billy. And I'm in the stands watching practice, and there's Frank McGuire, a legendary coach, sitting there. And oh my God. <laughs> I said, uh, I walked over to him and I said, Coach, I said, I'm a fan. I said, obviously, you're here to scout Billy. And he goes, well, yeah. And I said, well, I thought you were scouting me, but nah, I guess that's not, that's not true. <laughs> wow. Uh, Billy was, uh, he was a legend in high school. He once scored in, now play, keep this in mind, in New York City High School, they play eight-minute quarters. Billy Cunningham scored 63 points in a game. In a 32-minute game. Uh, the old the old left-hander, Billy C. Well, you meant, you know, Chuck. Chuck Daly, when I was doing the Nets, he, uh, my last two years with the Nets, he was there both those years. And I learned a lot. What I learned from Chuck Daly is that he knew more about the psychology of the NBA player than anybody I had ever talked to. He knew how what, what made these guys tick. And that's why he was so great. I mean, he coached the dream team. With all of those superstars, he made yeah. it work. He made it work. They end up calling him Daddy Rich, and they call him Daddy Rich for for a reason. You know, he loves his clothes. He loved the you know the the flash. But again, I think he loves his players just as much. Being in the game and in their heads. And I hear I talked to Isaiah. I had a had him on my podcast, and I don't think I've ever heard a player say anything negative about about Chuck. And no. who he was and the relationship that was formed. And frankly, you know, he was the one who probably helped Dennis Rodman more than anybody uh, being able to understand who he was because most coaches would not have a to have tolerated Dennis Rodman and, and anything. Uh, Isaiah told me a fascinating story and I thought it was so cool though. He was talking about Dennis Rodman. He said, you know, normally have a layup line and guys get the ball and then they go shoot. He said, Dennis Rodman, stood there under the basket and he was just passing and he's like and he was said Dennis why don't you take some shots he said no he said why don't you take some he said I'm doing something I said he said what are you doing he said I'm counting the rotations on the ball he said when I see you shoot I said I know it's like eight rotations as the ball is coming I know that ball how it's going to come off the rim when I see Joe shoot I know there are five rotations and how the ball might come off the rim and Isaiah said, absolutely amazing. He made rebounding a science. And uh, so you get some, there, there's some dudes that you think they're confusing. Even Robert Parrish told me a great story about Dennis Rodman. He said, I've never been around a guy who was, who worked to be who he wasn't. I was like, what do you mean by that? He said, you know, you see all the hats, you see this and the wedding gowns. And he said, exactly the opposite in the locker room and around his teammates hardworking understood the game just went but just one but once he stepped off you know went to that other side he wanted to be flamboyant and he wanted to be another person you know the dennis rodman's son i don't know if you heard it today dennis rodman's son is transferred uh to southern cal to usc guess who's going there lebron james's son Bronny, yes Bronny. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, this thing, I, I don't know. I, I this this transfer portal now to me is uh, I, I don't like it mm. because as a fan of a team uh, or of college sports, when I, you know, I was able to identify with the great teams when they stayed there for two or three years. Okay. I got it. But now you're there one year, you can go to the next school, then you can leave and go to the next school. It, 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 you might as well be playing a pickup game someplace because uh, you, you can remember how great St. John was at that time. Right. And I remember, and that was a time when they were called the St. And I remember, cause I should love them. St. John Redmond, right? Right. Was, right. They were the Redmond of St. John's. There. Right. And, and then they changed their name. And, but you know, you can think about um, John Thompson, the, you know, how the Hoyas were or North Carolina, the Tar Heels or, North Carolina State, the Wolfpack, or or UCLA with those great teams and those great players. Now, how I can't tell you that you just named them, but I couldn't tell you 10, five basketball players that play in college right now today because they haven't established any rhythm of right. who they are or any identification as players going to those schools. You talk about John Thompson. I had the pleasure of doing Georgetown basketball right at the beginning of the Big East. Uh, uh, I was uh, 
I was hooked up with Dave Bing, who I speak to from time to time now. Uh, and we were watching the beginning of the Big East and what was happening. So I was around Thompson a lot, and he, he was really great to me. He gave me a lot of inside information uh, that would help me during the telecast and so on. And, and I never forgot that. When it comes to coaches, coaches are a different breed. Mike Budenholzer gets fired the other day at Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, he wins a championship. But all mm-hmm. of a sudden, he became stupid? <laughs> I don't get it. Howard, you and I have been in the business long enough to know, it's what have you done for me lately? Yeah. It doesn't matter what you did for me last week, an hour ago. What, what are you doing for me right now? And when they did not win the championship, and the owner of that team looks around and saying, look, I'm going to have to sell. And will Giannis be here? He sees a decline. Maybe I'm going to make a move now. Uh, I happen to like the coach. He, he, was, he was good for their team, you know, win a championship. And to get fired, to me, is unexcusable. But that's, that's the privilege of being one of the governors of a team. You get, you get a chance to make these choices. And the biggest thing, normally as a governor, you're not going to be held accountable. Yeah. <laughs> you're not accountable for, for going out, firing this guy and hiring somebody else. Doesn't happen. Well, Giannis was great. The other day he praised Budenholzer mm-hmm. uh, for, 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 he really enjoyed playing for him. Mm-hmm. Interesting to note that Middleton has got a player's option. Mm-hmm. He could opt out after, you know, after this coming season. Well, you look at his season this year, he didn't have, a, he didn't have a great season. Right. And so for you to have a guaranteed contract and opt out of that contract, you better have one in your pocket. <laughs> Somebody's winking their eyes saying, hey, we'll sign you because uh, I don't think you should walk away from money like that, especially in this league. And you look all over the place and a lot of guys haven't done it. When those contracts started to get squeezed down, there were guys who said, I'm opting in. I'm not opting now. But, uh, yeah. The problem with you is that you were born too early. <laughs> oh, that would, that would be true. That would, that would be true for, for all of us in, in all these games. I mean, you think about broadcasting, you know, what, what some of the broadcasters are getting paid now, the national guys. Look at Charles Barkley, some of these guys who are out there now. Broadcasting is a whole no- – broadcasting now is, is almost become where you might be able to retire after one or two contracts compared to what you and I knew back in the day. Yeah, no question. So uh, Nick Nurse gets fired in Toronto. He's being rumored to be uh, in, in the discussion to uh, to go to Milwaukee. We'll see what happens there. But let's talk about the Celtics and Philadelphia tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. We've talked about strategies and so on and what has to happen. Teams have to get off to a fast start and so mm-hmm. on. Uh, in your heart, uh, I guess you give the Celtics a chance because there's a carrot here. If they win tonight, they go home for game seven, and that is a big carrot to look at. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing else. When your back's against the wall, there, there's, there, there's nothing. The best coaching job I ever saw uh, Bill Fitch do, who was uh, the coach of my team in 1981, was he said, you know what, guys? Our back's against the wall. We ain't got nothing to lose. And we came down to Philly, and we played loose. We stayed close, and then won the game late. The same thing has to happen. If you're a coach, you don't put pressure on your team right now because they already know if we don't play well tonight, then we're taking our asses home. We can clean the lockers out. And a lot of people have predicted that Celtics were going to be in the finals, Hmm. especially once Milwaukee got beat. They said, oh, my God, the door is wide open now for the Celtics to to do that. And the Celtics have late. They played pretty good in Atlanta. They had some great games. And then they had a couple of uh, uh, rollover games in Atlanta. Atlanta took them a little bit deep. And now Philadelphia, they had a chance really to be up 3-1 and trying to close it out. They didn't do it. So the Celtics have been their worst on enemy. And and tonight they get a chance to, but as you like to say, Howard, you get another opportunity up the bat. And that's all athletes ask for. I get another, I get another swing. And that's where the Celtics are now. If they don't win tonight, you would look back on this series and saying it's a series of missed opportunity. It's a series of inconsistency in some mm-hmm. areas. But look, they got a puncher's chances. No, and by the way, I hated Bill Fitch. <laughs> <laughs> he was in New Jersey. 
Yeah, Bill. Bill had a way of of, of uh, if you were a basketball analyst, if you were the coach, if you were a broadcast, he had a way of bringing you into the office. Yeah, <laughs> you had long you you have a long talk. He had one with uh, Bob Cousy. They had a shouting match in the airport one time. Uh, he was watching a tape of of uh, Cousy said, and I think maybe we should we should have done this instead. And boy, Bill Fish did not like that at all. And boy, he went right at Coos and Coos went right back at him. So it was interesting to see those two guys uh, bump heads. Well, I'm doing the game when the late Drazen Petrovich was playing for New Jersey. And Petrovich took uh, an uh, ill-conceived shot. Uh, He went one against three. And I said to my partner, Jim Spadarko, I said, you know, I don't know about that shot. Fitch was standing five feet in front of me. He turned around. He went, blankety blank you. And I went, what? So he ratted me out to, to the jet, to the owner, to the, pre- the president of the team who called me into his office. Next time I saw Fitch and I said, you basically had put my job in jeopardy, coach. Don't ever do that again. And he just stared at me and I walked away. But I don't know why he's in the Hall of Fame. He lost more games than he won, Max. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah he, he, he did. But sometimes all you got to do is win a championship. And he won 800 or was it was 850 or something like that that Bill Fitch won. And the only person who ever got in Bill Fitch's way was Bill Fitch. Yeah, I hear and that. The day he he um, wanted to run the operations. He wanted to have this very much like Rick Pitino did when he was in college, when he got to the pros. Sometimes you got to let other people do their jobs right. and then you do your job. And I think that's the one one thing that uh, was very um, that was hard for Bill Fish to do. Well, you can't leave Philadelphia without getting a soft pretzel, so you may want to do that this afternoon. Well, I'll see if I can go out and get one and <laughs> get to get to the arena and sit down and enjoy and, and, and see what happens tonight. It's going to be a it's going to be a very interesting night. Uh, you know, come hell or high waters. Hopefully, the Celtics get on their plane, go back, and they're getting ready to play a game on Sunday. Enjoy it tonight, my man. You are the best. Uh, All right. Yeah, you you stay safe, most importantly. All right. Take it easy, my friend. He is Cedric Cedric Maxwell, uh, former Boston Celtic, uh, former, no, people don't remember, he went to North Carolina, Charlotte, and they won the NIT one year, as I recall. But, you know, that is that, and this is this. And we go to the Western Conference, where we're going to bring in, there he is, we're going to bring in uh, Chris Marlowe, who is the voice of the Denver Nuggets. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing fine, Howard. Good to see you. Yeah, you got all your memorabilia back there, huh? I've got a lot of stuff, yeah. What's your most prized possession? Uh, My Olympic gold medal, but it's not back there. Uh, It's in the safety deposit box at the moment. (laughs) I can understand. I I told my wife I I wanted to, uh, to maybe present that or mount that somehow, and uh, I think she's working on it. The uh, Nuggets can wrap it up tonight with a victory against Phoenix. Uh, the Suns have not had CP3. Uh, how big of a deal is that from Denver's point of view? Well, initially, I think uh, Nuggets and Nuggets fans thought it was going to be a big deal. Uh, however, it turned out to be actually a positive in some ways for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, they were able to play faster. They were able to get the ball in Booker and Durant's hands more easily. Uh, they, they ran the Nuggets. So after the Nuggets won the first two games and CP3 couldn't play, they won two good games in Phoenix. Uh, so what worries me, if the Nuggets don't close it out tonight, what worries me is uh, uh, Chris Paul comes back and some kind of a Willis Reed moment inspires the team on the road and they get the W. So I'm hoping the Nuggets can close it out tonight. I got to ask you about the Jokic uh, altercation with the Phoenix Suns owner. Uh, what did you say when all of that was going on? Well, I actually wasn't on the air in oh, okay. terms of uh, broadcasting. I just thought it was kind of humorous, uh, you know, an interaction that, that usually doesn't happen. Usually the, the fans in the front row not know not to interfere with the players. And uh, I don't co- condone Jokic for wading in. He wasn't in the in the stands, but he's in that, that point between the, you know, the, the sideline and the, and the first row seats. 
So, uh, you know, I think they put it behind them. It wasn't a big deal. I think they, in retrospect, I think they should have uh, fined Ishbia the, the same amount of money as Nikola Jokic. I think they were equally culpable. Nikola got the, the, the technical foul, that, which really didn't make any difference in the game. But uh, I think it would have sent a better message to Ishbia if they'd find him 25,002. Yeah, and somebody was calling for Jokic to get uh, suspended for a game. Not, not me. I, I you know, come on. Uh, uh, that know. was the that was all the Phoenix Suns people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can understand. Yeah, they would have been let's suspend him for that game and uh, maybe another game or two and see if uh, we can get back on track. There was no need for a suspension. I think they go way overboard on that. Uh, you know, I think Draymond Green is kind of the poster child for for what happens in a game. He's a repeat offender, so he's more likely to get suspended than a Nikola Jokic or a Durant or somebody like that. So yeah. I didn't think the incident was a big deal. Let's move on to the game. Uh, what's it going to take? Uh, I'm, look, I'm just an outsider. I'm sitting there watching the game. But it seems to me that Michael Porter's got to get more involved. Well, he was uh, in game five. He played really well in the first quarter. He came out firing. He made four threes, had 14 points, kind of really set the tone uh, for that particular game. Uh, Nuggets were up by 11 at the end of the first. Uh, that lead kind of went away in the second quarter, but uh, I, I think he finished with 19 points, eight rebounds, played pretty well. He's kind of an X factor. If he plays well, if he shoots well, or or you get a game uh, like they did from Bruce Brown, who had 25 or a KCP explosion, the Nuggets are really hard to beat because Jokic is always going to be uh, in, in the vicinity of a triple-double. And if he's got a Whopper triple-double, you put him with Murray, uh, Nuggets are tough to beat. Chris, sometimes history is a big deal. And I look at the Nuggets in games they've played in Phoenix. They've won three of their last five in Phoenix. Uh, yeah, yeah, but that was without without Durant. So it's kind of been different. Since Durant got there, uh, the Suns won the last two. But the Nuggets didn't play their starters uh, in the regular season. Uh, so they did in the playoffs, and Phoenix won two close games there in the Nuggets uh, didn't play bad, didn't play good. They played medium. Uh, they were in both games till the end and uh, just couldn't close it up. So it'd be interesting to see what happens tonight. I, I, I looked up a stat. Okay, there have been eight series so far, Howard, uh, eight playoff series that have ended. In five of those eight, they have ended on the road. Hmm. Five of the eight, the, the team that has won the series has has finished it up on the road. So I think that bodes well for the Nuggets. You would think, well, it's hard to close out a good team on the road, but but five of the eight have. So I think that, that they have a legitimate uh, chance. And I think one of the keys is coming out strong in that first quarter and, and letting them know that, th that this is a game you really want to win. He's Chris Marlowe, uh, voice of the Denver Nuggets. You look at defensive assignments and how critical they are. Kevin Durant is going to get his if he's on. Devin Booker's going to get his. So now pick your poison. Who do you try to take away? Do you double Booker? Or do you double Durant? What do you do? Well, that's that's an interesting theory. They did that in games three and four and had didn't have much luck. Booker was 20 for 25 in one game and like 13 for 18 in the next. I, I think what the Nuggets did in the last game is the blueprint going forward. Pick up Booker full court. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, those three guys, play him hard the whole way. Uh, get him off his game. Uh, work him over, so to speak. Uh, you, you can't stop him from scoring completely. But what they did was lower his efficiency. Now, Booker was only 8 for 19, and Durant also under 50% in that last game. And if those two guys shoot under 50%, I think the Nuggets have a great chance to win. I think they had 56 points. You know, if they get 85 or 90, then you're in trouble. Uh, but I think what they did last time, they're going to put a lot of pressure on them, kind of like what the Suns are trying to do to Murray, pick him up full court, pressure him, you know, get him uh, – Get him trying to come over at six or seven seconds, uh, you know, steal the ball, bump him, that kind of thing, play physical with him. It worked last game. He still had 28, but it was a tough 28. The three players that finished uh, high for the MVP balloting, Embiid won it, of course. Jokic just won it twice in a row. Uh, and then you got Giannis. 
one thing they have in common, you can't defend them with one guy. And so you look at the difficulty that the Phoenix has in defending Jokic. <laughs> uh, I'm amazed at him, and I'm just the outsider. You see him all the time. I'm amazed at how, at how uh, exceptional he is around the basket, that he has range. He's just an extraordinary player. Yeah, he has all the skills. That's what makes him more difficult to guard. Uh, you know, he can score inside. He's a great post-up player. He can make 15-footers. Uh, he shoots the three, shooting, I think, 45% in the series from three. Uh, I think that's what separates him and Joel Embiid from other centers, is they can shoot the basketball. You know, you see some of the other centers, the, the, the rim runners and the rebounders and the shot blockers, they can't shoot. They can't shoot outside 15 feet or even inside 15 feet. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he's difficult. Uh, they played him one-on-one a couple of nights ago, a couple of games ago, and he got 53. Uh, so he's, he, he's a load. Uh, he's so skilled, uh, Howard. Uh, you know, you take away his right hand, he shoots a left-hand hook. Uh, you, you know, you bite on the fake, he goes up and under. Uh, when you're not looking, he whizzes a pass by your ear to a wide-open Gordon. And he, he's just a marvelous player. And I'm, I'm lucky to have uh, covered him for the last eight years. The Nuggets were the number one seed coming out of the West. Now here they are playing Phoenix. Should they win tonight, they go on to the Western final. Two things would happen then. Number one, they would go on to the Western final. Number two, it would be the last game of legendary broadcaster Al McCoy, who does yeah. the Phoenix Suns game. I know Al a long time. Uh, I, I think he's, He's one of the greatest people I've ever been around, let alone broadcaster. Yeah, fantastic guy, terrific broadcaster. Whenever we go to Phoenix, you know, they have the Al McCoy lunchroom there. So <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping when I retire, if I ever do, they go have the Chris Marlowe lunchroom. In <laughs> it's, it's quite an honor. Uh, but every time I see him, every time I hear him, he sounds good. Uh, I, I'm not sure why he's retiring. I mean. I mean, he's done it for so, so long, maybe he wants to do some other things in the later stages, but uh, great guy and uh, any honor he gets well-deserved. He's over 90. I mean, think about it. He's yeah. been in this business for 51 years calling Phoenix Suns games. And Jerry Colangelo, you know, he's the one who gave him the job in 1972. Yeah, I think uh, what the hope is, uh, is that they can go out on an NBA championship with this group. Yeah, I think, you know, when they made the trade, they were thinking, OK, th- this is the piece that's going to propel us to the top. Uh, what I don't think they realized is, you know, the players that they lost and the, the consistency of their defense without Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and some of these guys, uh, it would be it would be different. So I think, uh, you know, the fact that they're not quite as good as people thought is kind of a surprise. And I think. Uh, the Nuggets have taken some advantage of that. Chris, let me ask you this just from an opinion point of view. I'm watching the uh, Lakers-Golden State game last night, and somebody made the comment that the officials are letting everybody play during this year's playoffs. I, I don't know if that's fact or fiction. What are your observations? Um, I would say the officiating has been a bit inconsistent. Th- that would be my call on it. It seems like every player on every team is complaining about the officials. They're talking about, well, if Scott Foster's there, that'll help us. If Scott Foster's there, that won't help us. Uh, I I see some, I I see plays where uh, touch fouls are called. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, uh, five minutes later, a guy gets, uh, you know, uh, hit in the neck and falls down and there's no call. So I wish the officials, I know they, they have a tough job, but I wish they would be just a little bit more consistent on what they called. I wish the NBA would call the, the game like they do internationally. Uh, it's a much more physical game. Players realize that they're not going to get every little bump. Every time you, you bump into somebody, it's not a foul, particularly on shots. You know, if I've got the ball and, I, and I'm dribbling and you're on my side and I bump into you and try to create the foul, they don't give you that internationally I, I i just think that's a kind of a cheap way to draw fouls uh and and they probably need to do something about uh you know players sliding in on uh on guys driving to the basket which has created some incredible uh collisions uh in the game so 
I think they'll try to figure it out. I think, uh, you know, tonight be the same way. If you're a Nuggets fan, you're going to say, well, Jokic is getting fouled. And if you're on the other side, it's Booker and Durant. So I, th- I think it goes both ways. You've been around this game long enough to make a uh, respond to this. But the game itself, the NBA game itself, it's evolved into a three-point shooting league. There's no question about it. I mean, guys drive to the basket, five feet from the basket, and then kick it out to a guy who's 23 feet away. Uh, are you okay with this? Is it? Would you like to see less threes? Or are you fine with the way it is now? You know, I, you know, I grew up in the era where a, where a, a good shot it was a, a high percentage shot. That's not true anymore. Uh, any shot is an okay shot if you think you can make it. Uh, the threes uh, probably started by Stephen Curry with the long range threes. You know, guys are just taking awful shots. And, and I think the one thing I don't like about about the NBA and three point shooting is. Uh, you, you hear this all the time. Well, uh, he's got an open shot. He should take it. He should take that three. But if the guy's shooting 25% from three, I wouldn't have him taking it. And we, we've got that with our team. You know, sometimes you ask Coach Michael Malone, well, is, you know, is Aaron Gordon or uh, DeAndre Jordan, are they okay to take threes? Well, if it's their shot, if they're open, yeah. But I think, I, I think kind of the way the Nuggets are doing it this year, they're trying to take high percentage threes. They're not one of the teams – in the league that takes 40, you know, they take 30 and they hope to make 12 or 13. And I think it's been a pretty good uh, recipe because they have a very good uh, two point shooting team. They're the best two point shooting team in the league at over 50%. So if you combine that with, you know, uh, uh, you know, 35, 40 or 45% three point shooting, normally you get the W. So the Nuggets win tonight. If. Uh, They win the first quarter and win the second quarter. Really? And the third and the fourth. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Jokic. My, that, that's my joke. I, I think Jokic, you know, for some reason, uh, I think he's in uh, DeAndre Ayton's head now. You know, Ayton's getting a lot yes. of criticism in, in many quarters. Uh, not quite sure why. Uh, Jokic is killing him. That's probably the reason why. But uh, uh, I expect Phoenix to come out. They're, they're going to be in a desperation situation, elimination mm-hmm. game for them. Uh, but I think if the Nuggets can survive the first quarter and, and get their feet on the ground and, and play into the fourth quarter, you get to a point where uh, that maybe the, the team that's down 3-2 just lets go of the rope. And I'm, I'm hoping that happens tonight. Every time I see you, at my, my, my uh, niece has just got accepted. She got a scholarship to Wellesley nice. in Massachusetts to play volleyball. Wow. <laughs> what position does she play? I can't tell you that. I don't know. Okay. I, just know I just know she's a big girl. She's almost it's about 5'11". Okay. Well, yeah. she's probably uh, an outside hitter is my guess. My guess is she spikes a lot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. I, was- I remember when I got my first uh, scholarship offer. It's kind of a funny story. Uh, one of my teammates and I, we, we drove down to San Diego uh, to meet with the San Diego State coaches. We had lunch at a place called the Chuck Wagon. And then we were driving back. Uh, the coaches were going to drop us off, I think, in San Juan Capistrano. And our parents were going to, my parents were going to pick us up. And about halfway there, uh, we were talking to the coach. I said, well, are you offering us a scholarship? <laughs> uh, because, it, you know, there's no mention of that. You know, now it's just assumed if they recruit you, you're going to get a scholarship. And he said, yeah, we're offering you full scholarships. And myself and my, uh, my center, Ken Baker, said, yeah, we'll come. Scholarship, yeah, good job. <laughs> Always good talking to you, Chris. Appreciate your insight. You stay safe. Enjoy the game tonight. Thank you. Thanks, Howard. Hey, call me when we're in the Western Conference Finals. We'll chat again. You got a deal. All right, man. He is Chris Marlowe. He does the uh, telecast for the uh, Denver Nuggets. They've got an interesting game tonight with the Phoenix Suns. You you stay safe, Chris. You too, Howard. Bye-bye. We're we're waiting for Al McCoy, who's going to be joining me momentarily. Uh, the great Al McCoy, who's, um, let's just say he's been around a little bit. I was going to send him a quick shot. Just hit him with this. And we'll see if we can get to Al.
We're awaiting the great Al McCoy, who's been doing this thing for 51 years. Think about that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Fantastic. I uh, I wonder about great broadcasters. Uh, obviously, Al's in that conversation. Um, then Scully, obviously, is in the conversation. I'm watching Bob Costas last night. As an Atlanta Braves fan, I'm watching the Braves play the Red Sox. And they lose last night for one of the few times they've lost in the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know. I, certain guys, I remember growing up listening to Vin Scully doing Brooklyn Dodger games. And when he first started, I'm going, my God, this guy is great. And nothing changed for the next 40 years, 50 years. Uh, it's, it's, it's out. It's, it's incredible. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. And hopefully we can uh, hook up with Al McCoy, uh, who's uh, I think he claims he's here. Uh, so we'll we'll try to hook up with him some way, shape, or form. I guess we're not having any luck. Give him another minute. And we'll make that happen. Well, he was waiting for my call. Uh, well, we're going to try to, uh, you know what? We'll, I'm going to do it this way. We'll do it this way, okay? Hello? I guess we got it right, Mr. McCoy. How are you? Good, good. Uh, 51 years in the business, huh? Well, that's uh, about long enough, I guess, right? <laughs> I mean, you couldn't find anything better to do with your life? Well, I kept looking around, but I couldn't get anything full-time. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and you're spry and sprickety at the ripe old age of 90 or 91? Well, just 90, just the even number. I just turned uh, 90 a week or so ago, and uh, I'm hanging in there. So you're hanging in there watching the Nuggets play the Phoenix Suns tonight. If the Nuggets win, that'll be your last game. Uh, that's, yeah, I, that's right. Well, that's I, my, right. my hope is that Phoenix wins, so you keep going. Well, we we would like to. It's been a, it's a tough series. As you know, Denver had the top record in the West. They're an excellent team. They have one of the league's great players in, in Jokic. And uh, so far... Uh, each team has won on their home court, and that pressure is on the Suns uh, here in Phoenix tonight. Got to go up against a guy named Nikola Jokic. He's a handful. Uh, well, he's one of the best. I, I, I think uh, I think he's the best player in the NBA, and I think he probably should have gotten the MVP award again this year. But I think maybe the league didn't want to make it three years in a row for him. But he's he's a, just a sensational player. Look, obviously, one of the big pieces that Phoenix doesn't have is CP3. Uh, I guess he's out for tonight. He is out. That's exactly right. The starting point guard. And as you know, unfortunately, throughout his career of late, he's had injuries uh, during the playoffs. And certainly he is the guy that really makes this Suns team go from his point guard position. And he's missed. I mean, there's no question about it. But, you know, this is a league and a sport that injuries play a huge part in. And uh, CP3's out. It's that simple. He won't play. He's the legendary Al McCoy. Uh, let me ask you about, look, if there's something missing from your resume, it's a championship ring. You've been to the finals, what, three times? Is that accurate? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so, I mean, that's, if, if there was one thing that's that that you're wishing for, to go out and this is your final year is to get a championship ring. Obviously, it's not going to be an easy thing. But when the Suns picked up Kevin Durant, a lot of people thought that that was going to be the missing piece. Well, no question about it. It was a controversial trade. Uh, the Suns gave up uh, some good young players, uh, uh, mainly to Brooklyn, to come up uh, with KD. But they felt that with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker leading the way, uh, this was a path to the NBA championship. Uh, so far, KD has struggled a little bit with his scoring 
in the playoffs. But as we know, he could break out at any time. But that's the reason the trade was made. And there's a lot on the table here in Phoenix right now if uh, this team doesn't continue to win. The Suns win the game tonight because? Well, I think KD has to have a big game. And I think uh, the bench, the uh, non-starters, the ones that do get playing time and give Devin Booker and Aiden and Kevin Durant a breather, have to be able to contribute when they come into the ballgame. Now, as we both know, Howard, uh, non-starters usually play a lot better at home. And the Suns got some good minutes from non-starters and their their two victories that they had here on their home court, and they're going to need that again tonight. DeAndre Ayton has a tough assignment, no question about it. It seems that he's going to need a lot of help. Well, he is, but I think that uh, the Suns' philosophy is that uh, uh, you can let uh, Nikola Jokic score a lot. Someone else has to beat them, whether it's Jamal Murray, their outstanding guard, or someone off the bench that's able to step up. You're not going to shut down Nikola Jokic. Just no way. He's just too good. And uh, if you concentrate too much on him, I, I think it's maybe not the right way to go. And so I think the Suns are saying, hey, Jokic is going to get his. But we have to stop some of the others. And that other person might be a Jamal Murray or, as I said, a Brown that uh, comes off the bench sometimes and scores uh, some pretty big points. So uh, I think they have to look more in that direction defensively than just trying to shut down uh, Jokic because you're not going to do that. He's a legendary Al McCoy in his final season as voice of the Phoenix Suns. Throughout all the years you've been with Phoenix Suns, uh, and I mentioned that you've been to three finals, I'm sure you've got certain players that put a smile on your face, guys that you really enjoyed being around. I'm going to guess. I'm going to say Kevin Johnson's one of those guys. Well, KJ was one of the outstanding point guards before we even talked that much about the contribution that point guards make in the NBA. KJ certainly was one of those. But, you know, going back over the 51 years, Howard, Suns have had so many outstanding players and you could go back, of course, uh, uh, to just, uh, well, starting off with Dick Van Arsdale, who was the original son, and uh, going up through a, a Kevin Johnson, a Walter Davis, a Charles Barkley. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it's, it's been a good ride. No question about it for me. I remember, Al, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I want to say it was the 96 finals when Barkley was part of the Phoenix Suns playing Michael and the Bulls. Is that is that is that accurate? That's close. Okay, uh, that I covered that game for NBA that series for NBA radio, and I remember thinking that this Phoenix team was good enough to beat the Chicago Bulls, but Michael Jordan had an incredible series, and I have to believe. And and I talked to Barkley about it. He claimed that this is the biggest disappointment in his career. Well, I probably would agree with that. And that Suns team was good enough to win it all. And uh, they won a triple overtime game in Chicago in that series. As a matter of fact, talking about triple overtime games in the playoffs, that's only happened twice in the finals. Suns have been involved in both. Uh, the first one was in, in Boston in 76, the famous uh, triple overtime game and the shot heard around the world by Gar Hurd. And then uh, the triple overtime game in Chicago that the Suns won. Uh, those two games certainly would be highlights in my career, Howard, able to broadcast those triple overtime games in the NBA Finals. But that Charles Barkley team, as you mentioned, uh, certainly was good enough to win it all. But uh, a guy named uh, Jordan uh, was the stopper. <laughs> yeah, I heard of him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, 51 years in the league. The league has gone, undergone many changes, um, for, for better or worse. The three-point shot is now the dominant factor in, in today's NBA. Uh, is that a good thing? Well, you know, I'm a longtime basketball guy. You know, I think it's the greatest game, the NBA game, because what other sport uh, can you have a great play every 24 seconds, and that's what we get in the NBA. And I guess I'd have to say I'm an old-timer. Uh, I, I don't like the way the game is played now. I preferred uh, the way it was played 15 years ago. Uh, as you mentioned, Howard, the three-point shot has just changed the entire game. Uh, 
Uh, I liked it better when we didn't have the three-point shot, but, uh, you know, the fans love it. Uh, points are being scored. People are going into the arenas to watch it, and I guess that's the bottom line. I, the thing that drives me up a wall, Al, I'll tell you, when I see a player drive to the basket, stop about five feet away from the basket, and throw it 23 feet out and to, to the perimeter, it drives oh, me up a wall. It happens all the time. Right? Right. Uh, for a three-point shot. And, uh, you know, the positive side is that I think the fans like is uh, a team is never really out of a game. You can be down 12 or 14 points in a ball game and then hit three or four three-pointers, bang, 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 and you're right back in the game. Uh, that's what makes it so popular. Uh, I, as I said, I just don't think the game from a talent standpoint is played as well. And, of course, you have a lot of guys just out of daycare centers that are now starters in the NBA. <laughs> uh, that's a big difference also. Yeah. Al, uh, I've been in your company many times. All I think about is NBA meetings before the start of the season where uh, like you and I, Neil Funk, uh, Mark Boyle, and a whole bunch of other guys, broadcasters in the league, we used to have a lot of laughs. Well, you've had a great career, Howard, and so have I. And I uh, guess the bottom line is we've had a lot of fun along the way. You stay safe, my friend, and I hope you get another game to do. All right, thank you. It's always great to talk with you. Wish you and fellas the best. Oh, thanks, Al. Appreciate it. He is Al McCoy, legendary broadcaster, all-time good guy. A lot, lot of good times, a lot of memories. I go to Phoenix and... Uh, First thing I do is pick up the phone, call out, and we go have lunch. There was an Italian restaurant I remember on Thomas uh, in Phoenix. I, I don't remember the name, but I just remember it was really, really good. And why not? I was going to go to a bad restaurant. I don't think so. The NBA playoffs going on right now. I think it's really interesting. Number one team in the East is gone, Milwaukee. Number one team in the West is still alive, the Denver Nuggets. I don't see any way. Uh, that Denver loses two games. I got to believe they go into the finals, the Western finals, against Golden State or L.A. I'm going to say L.A., providing that Anthony Davis does not go into concussion protocol, because if that's the case, he won't play. He won't play in game six. Unlikely to play in game seven. And uh, for the Lakers fans, I hope he does play, because I want to see teams at their best playing the best. And I don't think that Golden State's going to lay down and die. Now, when you got Steph Curry firing away from the cheap seats all the way, if he could shoot from the balcony, he'd take the shot. I'm Howard David. Thanks for being a part. Howard David Live. You folks stay safe. Thanks.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.